you, you want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is this is really, really scary now. I trust you. Are you ready? Okay, go ahead. What are you doing? Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's me and Keith here. We're back for another episode of The Midnight... (laughs) (laughs) The Midnight Cowboys, where we talk about sex and getting money for sex. Hey guys, it's us again. Uh... Me and Keith, Trash Sheep, for a new episode. Uh, tonight we're doing something a little different that we're calling the Midnight Special. Keith, why are we calling it the Midnight Special? Because it's late at night and we just came from a scary movie. And I mean, that's really it. That's it? Yeah, I wouldn't see any other reason why we would. Uh, well, I guess we're, we're talking about midnight movies. And there may or may not be... Uh, Toxic chemicals in our system, altering our perception of reality and our judgment. What is a midnight movie, Keith? In the United States, a midnight movie is a B-movie or cult film shown at midnight, either at a cinema or on television. The term midnight movie is now often used in two different, though related ways, as a synonym for B-movie, reflecting the cheapness of... The relative cheapness characteristic of late night movies, both theatrically and on TV, and as a synonym for cult film. Wow. Well, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. I don't know if you're like me and Keith, you pro- you might have grown up watching uh, these types of movies on cable late at night, um, up past your bedtime, waiting for mom and dad to go to sleep, and then turning on TBS or USA and watching something you probably weren't supposed to. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the movie we went and saw this evening that we just got out of. It's about 1.15 in the morning right now. We just saw Silver Bullet. That's AM, people. Yeah, AM. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, was, Keith is definitely up past his bedtime. Yeah, I usually go to bed at about 9.30, so this is a nightmare scenario for me. So yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about just kind of our, I guess, favorite, possibly like childhood moments of midnight movies. What ma- what makes a good midnight movie? Um, but before we get into the meat of that, I mean, I don't think we have any knee-jerk reactions. Do, do you have any? I mean, I have several knee-jerk reactions throughout my days, but uh, in relation to any movie trailers, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to hear from you guys. Uh, what should we talk about on knee-jerk reactions? What are some knee-jerk reactions you're having to trailers that you're seeing in theaters? Um I know Baby Driver came out not too long ago, and um, that is one wild trailer. Uh, but one mediocre movie. I don't want to talk about it, but I want to hear you guys talk about it. So uh, throw some ideas at us, and let's hear it. Maybe you've seen uh, this much Ballyhooed trailer for um, The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, let's hear what you have to say about that. Cool. We'll be looking forward to your messages. Okay, so we saw Silver Bullet. Um, this wasn't the first time you'd seen Silver Bullet. Right? I have seen Silver Bullet at least 50 times in my life. I've not seen it that many times, but I've seen it several. I really enjoy this movie. I can't really defend it, 
necessarily. I can't tell you why it's good. Um, I can't make a case for it, but I get a kick out of it. It's every great. Single time I've see never it. seen it this large. How big would you say the screen? We're at uh, Tacoma's historic Blue Mouse Theater, which is now a uh, a historical landmark, right? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely there. And it'll never get torn down. Um, the screen is not gigantic, but it's big enough. It's definitely bigger than our home television sets. We got to see uh, Gary Busey's 80s bloated alcoholic face real up close. Um, I mean, I'm, you know... Uh, I don't know if he was really bloated per se. I'd say he was just the, uh, bloated. the, the typical, like, ideal of a man back then. Like no. a, like a real fucking man wearing a Hawaiian shirt and slugging booze down straight out of the bottle. I mean, it's, it's really. He's got muscular arms, but he's got the, the gut of a man who has large appetites. If you see him in this and then you see him in Predator 2 just a few years later, there's no way to argue that he wasn't in his prime form during Predator 2 versus his sluggish oafiness of Silver Blood, which is appropriate to the movie. I'm not. It's not a criticism. I would argue that uh, he's at in his top form here. No, I Bebopping and scatting all over everybody. Doesn't making happen. it happen. It doesn't really matter. He's doesn't... not constrained by a, you know, a button-down suit and tie kind of role. He's really able to spread his wings creatively and fly here. Well, I don't know about that. He does play a guy named Uncle Red. He's the uncle of Corey Haim, who is a... Oh, young Marty Coleslaw. Yeah. The unsung monster hunter of cinema. He kills werewolves. He kills vampires. Vampires. Um, but he never really gets the credit as a monster killer that right. he deserves. Right. He, well, he also killed... Um, wasn't he in that movie, uh, Watchers? Yeah, with, Watchers. With uh, Mark uh, Singer? Yep. And meanwhile, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, these guys are getting all the, all the credit. It's a shame we never got like a Christopher Lee Corey Haim crossover like, buddy movie. Yeah, where they go across the European countryside, killing monsters and wisecracking. And it's too late now. I mean, they really missed the boat. Like it was, uh, they wanted the two Coreys together in the nineteen eighties. That was the big marketing opportunity, but. I'd I'd wager that Christopher Lee and Corey Haim would have been even better. I mean, imagine just replace all those roles in The Lost Boys and Dream a Little Dream and uh, <laughs> License. Did I say License to Drive? You didn't, but that is one. Yeah, of License them. to Drive. All of these roles. Just uh, swap in Christopher, like Christopher Lee. Lee I've got you. Really, is really trying to get Corey Haim to get his driver's license. He has like, box so office take, money. So we can take your dad's car out last night tonight and party. I think we it's... we need to go get beer. Is this a good Christopher Lee impression? It's really no, bad. It's, bad. Okay. it's really terrible. Cease and desist. Um, anyway, what the general premise of this movie is, Corey Haim plays a kid in a motorcycle wheelchair. I mean, let's boil it down to his essence here. Uh, uh, alcoholic Uncle Red uses the power of alcoholism to teach young Marty Coleslaw how to uh, kill a local townsperson who may or may not be a werewolf. That's pretty much exactly what it's about. Yeah. He, uh, he sends these great notes when he when he suspects that uh, the local preacher is the werewolf. He just sends him great anonymous notes. This says, is one of the one of the great ways to deal with a monster in movie history. Rather than calling the police or uh, telling his parents or even getting weapons uh, and dealing with himself, a la Monster Squad, mm-hmm. 
His first idea is to send an anonymous letter like a serial killer might send to... Um, like cutting letters out of the newspaper and yeah, pasting them to... You know. Yeah, that says, I know who you are. I know what you are. Why don't you just kill yourself? Yeah. I mean... It's almost as if he has a preternatural understanding of the werewolf plight and the werewolf psyche. Like, it's very depressing and isolating and lonely being a werewolf. I would have to say he does not have that because the letters do not work at all. If anything, it just empowers the werewolf to go and kill more. Well, that's the funny part about this werewolf is uh, he doesn't doesn't seem very upset that he's a werewolf. Other than a, one nightmare that he has, his deal is that he is constantly pissed off that someone knows he's a werewolf. It's as if he just wants to go on with his werewolf habit like a like a almost like a closet alcoholic or drug user who is perfectly fine where they're at but as soon as someone finds out he's like hey leave me alone i just want to do my thing and don't hassle me bro well, he's also rationalized that his werewolfism is part of god's plan oh and right he's saving souls by yes. killing them it's true oh 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 yeah yeah he he's like the killer from seven like he only eats sinners who are in the midst of sinning, and he's right. delivering their souls to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So he's really the hero of this piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> End scene. Uh, okay. Well, what do you? So, so that's how how uh, young uh, Marty Kozlaw. Coleslaw. God, it really bothers me that they never say that in the movie. The character's name is Marty Kozlaw. Perfect opportunity for his nickname to be Coleslaw. Or just have his name be Coleslaw. Right, like a cool nickname. Like, Not, all of Stephen King's characters typically have, like, a goofy... I'm saying it, sh- it shouldn't even be nickname a, a nickname. Or some kind of alteration. Like, that should be his legal Christian name. Like, when you're writing that out and you write Coleslaw, why don't you just change it immediately to Coleslaw? Right. If you've gotten that far, you might as well just go yeah, the just rest push of- it all the way. Okay, but anyway, that's his... his what, was the, um, what was the nickname in... Um... Dreamcatcher. Uh, Duddits. No, 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 not Duddits. Um, uh, the the red bearded uh, main character. Well, it's just his name. It was Jonesy. Jonesy. That's that was, it. That was his name, though. Right. It wasn't a right. Nickname. Well, I mean, that's still a nickname. His actual name wasn't Jonesy. It was Jones. Whatever. That's that's. But but you know, Jones Jonesy, Coslaw Coldslaw. Coldslaw. Yeah, Cold's Law. Cold's Law. <laughs> it's like it's, <laughs> it's an anagram of Cod's Law or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's how. Are I'm... his his parents are barely around? I feel like having a uh, so young Marty Cold's Law is a paraplegic. Paraplegic. Yeah. Um. So he's in a wheelchair. Um. But with a name like that, you would think that his parents were, um like kgb agents on assignment in america and like being why why would you think that's they're that i don't that name is highly suspect of the kgb yeah you got you go like you go from coslaw to coleslaw to coleslaw to kgb yeah 100 percent. i'm just following the clues as they're laid out that name isn't suspicious to you where are we this is your train of logic is suspicious this is tarker tarker's mill in what Maine? Every every Stephen King story is said in yeah, Maine. Yeah, yeah. Every single one. So you don't think that the Russians would want to position some of their top agents in 
the suburbs of Maine. I mean, sure. I don't. I'm not denying that. I'm just just denying your your logic of figuring out who. This sounds like a real witch hunt to me. It sounds like you've gone over to the other side. I mean, my other options are being a KGB agent or hanging out with you. I'm gonna take KGB. (laughs) Having to listen to your inane theories. Okay, well, scratch that. So. His parents aren't around. They're neglectful parents. They leave him with their drunk uncle all the time. Uh, they give him a motorcycle wheelchair that can go... So so Uncle Red breezes in and out of town, yeah. is, is unreliable, is an alcoholic, but somehow he's extremely skilled in engineering and bodywork and mechanics. What right. is his job? He's a KGB operative. I mean, now who's making leaps of logic? I'm saying this, at least, if we're going to go there, this makes a lot more sense. He is incredibly skilled with uh, machinery. He knows advanced weapon makers. That's another plot point in the movie. Uh, He's been been undercover so long, he's gotten too far into character. He's actually become a drunk. And... Ah, but he was drinking brown liquor. Yeah. A trait... A trait that typically uh, held by Americans. Do you think if a Russian operative comes to America to pretend to be an American, they're going to do Russian-like things? Hmm. The first thing he's going to do is switch from a vodka to bourbon. Hmm. He's not going to be drinking bourbon and eating uh, uh, like squid, squid and caviar and a little like caviar, <laughs> little like dough dumplings, you know, <laughs> you know. He's I gonna... think we need to get out more. Caviar is very common in Russia. I mean, if you're rich, which if you're in the KGB, it is. Right. It's where the most expensive caviar in the world comes from. Russia. They don't pay you in glory and honor. Yeah, yeah, but every now and like every like retirement party, they bust out a can of caviar. Anyway, this has gotten too far off track. We'll probably edit most of this theory out. No, this is great. I said most of it, not all of it. This is gonna win Emmys. We're reaching new heights in broadcasting. Um. So these these family of werewolf hunters, they first they send the letters <laughs> to kill yourself. How would you handle the situation if you thought there was a werewolf in your town? Well, you know, that's interesting because young Marty, he goes from zero to werewolf pretty quick. I Oh, yeah. He's like, somebody gets killed in town. He's like, what if it was a werewolf? Yeah, what if it wasn't a man? Um, now is that before or after his best friend is killed and ripped to shreds? It's all around the same time. The timeline of this movie is kind of, kind of hard to follow. Yeah. You're not sure if this takes place over the span of a couple days or like a year. Years. Um, so it's... Well, uh, like I was saying, if, um, if this were me in this situation, I don't know if I would jump to that conclusion right away well it's not even like he sees anything like he's like going past a murder scene and sees like a tuft of hair you know stuck in some somebody's the the, uh, broken door frame of someone's house where the werewolf broke into he just knows that people have been killed brutally and he jumps to werewolf i mean if it was the thing is if i lived in the same kind of area i would i would go uh um vampire right away 100%. But the victims weren't drained of blood. They were mutilated. 
Yeah, but it's the northeast. That that region's crawling with vampires. That's true. They're just up there screwing around, enjoying the the changing of the leaves and the the quiet small town lifestyle. They just want to be left alone. They're almost like uh, ex-cons in that way. Okay, but vampires aside, we know that it's a werewolf. Right, I wouldn't start sending people anonymous letters, I would, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I wouldn't do anything to suggest that maybe there's someone who knows about it. I would try and keep that secret. I would actually just probably like, leave town. Yeah. I wouldn't try to combat the werewolf. I would just move away. I might lay out a few traps, like um, the old uh, stick propping up a box with like a dog treat underneath. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would try that first, probably before sending a suicide note. Um, And then maybe the old uh, bear trap with like a stake in the middle of it. You know, like those comedically big bear traps that like clamp together. Yeah, would that work though? I don't know, you catch, I guess you catch to, something. You have to make it out of silver. I mean, I well, I'm not... Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not looking to kill anything. I'm just looking to trap it and then set it free in a different area. Kind of like a grizzly bear or a coyote. Well, couldn't you just... Werewolves are an endangered okay. species, yeah, Elliot. Yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine just recklessly hunting a species on the brink of extinction like that. Let me, let me posit a much safer way to relocate this werewolf. There's an idea. So we figure out the identity of the werewolf. Very easy to do. People always figure this stuff out in werewolf movies. So you go, whoever that werewolf is. Say you find out that your 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 uncle Charles. Well, okay. What if it is someone you know and trust, like a a teacher or a counselor or uh, the local uh, bartender? Right. So then you go like, hey, do you want to go to the movies with me? Right. What movie would you take them to? Silver Bullet. Oh. Then you get them in your car. You drive them three towns over. You push them out of the car. You come back. That way you're really, you're, you're catching the werewolf and releasing him while he's human and not as big of a threat to you. Yeah, but what if he pulls a move from Rambo First Blood where, you know, when the sheriff drops off Rambo and Rambo just starts walking back into town? Well, you do understand that if you did the same thing with even in his werewolf form, he could also start walking back. In the yeah, time. yeah, pretty quickly, I would imagine. Even if more Werewolves tend to be very faster. athletic. So I'm saying either way, it's a better plan than your plan of capturing a, a, a werewolf in his werewolf form, getting him into your car in his werewolf form, driving him to another town and letting him loose. Right, but you're presupposing that I just have a normal car, when in reality I have a wolf mobile, which is a converted bread truck with a kennel in the back. Touche. There's a hole for peeing. There's a treat dispenser. What kind of um, treats do you just give to a werewolf? There's, there's, uh, is it like just dispense human babies flea or Flea spray. What? The, the, what kind of treats satisfy a werewolf? I just like dog treats. I don't think that you works. You know, the, like you give uh, like a bull penis to a dog and it just chews on that for a while? Yeah. I mean, this is just a larger bull penis. It's dried out, chewy, delicious, gamey. Why? Why aren't the why aren't Have you ever tried one? Sure, but why aren't uh, werewolves then constantly breaking into pet stores instead of people's homes? I mean, they're just not aware in their wolf forms. They they don't have the the werewolf to understand our our modern topsy turvy civilization. Let's talk about. So they don't that. know where to look. This werewolf is a little bit different than other werewolf movies in the sense that, like, normally in werewolf movies, it's just like people walking through the park that it kills, which this werewolf does. But this one is more of a home invader. 
Yeah. Werewolf. He uses he gets a baseball bat and uses it on in multiple occasions. He does. I was waiting for yeah. him to use a gun at some point. Dude. He didn't get the opportunity though. I feel like that was the the trajectory he was on. Here's another question I have about this movie. So in most common uh, werewolf lore, the only way to hurt a werewolf is with silver, like a silver bullet. Or beat it to death with a silver-headed cane. So, yeah. And this movie abides by that logic. That at least that like the only way they can kill the werewolf or hurt it is with silver. However, earlier in the movie, uh, Corey Haim shoots a firecracker into the werewolf's eye. And then the next day, the preacher who is the werewolf is missing an eye. Right. By logic, shouldn't that eye have regenerated since it was not done with a silver... Well, that's interesting because um, uh, sulfur is is in um, fireworks. Yep. And I don't know what that does to werewolf biology. So. Is it is the sulfur made out of silver? No, but I think it's uh, it has ch- religious properties, like it's magic in some way. Oh, so it's been blessed so by was, a he, higher power. So maybe he wasn't actually hurting the werewolf in that moment. He was just hurting the preacher. Maybe. Like, but the, the, the werewolf is fine, but the next day there was still some sulfur on his eye. Yeah. And then well, the, the, the question, though, is uh, not would the eyeball regenerate? Has it healed? And I would argue, yes. The eyeball has healed and closed up. Why is it closed up if it's healed? I mean, that's how things heal. But it's not necessarily regeneration. So, like, the, the eye scar is over, but it doesn't grow back. So you can mutilate a werewolf, you just can't with things other Yeah. So, like, if you chopped off all the werewolf's limbs, it would still be alive, mm. but it would I've seen, be immobile. What about in the Monster Squad, where they put the dynamite in the yeah, werewolf's Yeah, they blow his balls up. And then five minutes later, the, the, the strewn body parts just reconnect. Um... I don't know. You'll have to ask Fred Decker about that one. That no good son of a bitch. I probably won't. He's yeah. He he really threw the uh, werewolf lore a curveball with that one. But I think in this case the uh, the werewolf is uh, uh, relatively indestructible. I think the silver is more used to sort of break the curse rather than simply kill the werewolf. So the I, idea that the werewolf, if he chopped his head off, it probably would be dead, but uh, his soul would be headed for eternal damnation in the, oh. the furthest pits of hell. This way, his soul can go to heaven and join everyone he murdered. Oh, that's cool. So, let's talk about that. At the end of the movie, they get, the, so they get a silver bullet made. They have one singular silver bullet. The werewolf breaks into their house uh they shoot it he literally breaks into the house there is a werewolf shaped hole in the wall after it busts through yeah and surprises a very a still non-believing uh uncle red who just can't can't seem to bring himself to listen to his uh emotional niece and uh wacky um nephew nephew werewolf breaks in they shoot it it reverts back to human form. Yes. It's dead. Much now, to the disbelief of Uncle Red, who now, is still, even after fighting, after facing a werewolf on the field of combat in the living room of his sister's house, 
he watches the werewolf transform back into a man, and he still can't believe what he's just seen. But here's here's the here's the issue I I have, or the the question I have at least. So these turn back into human form. Now explain the police like okay, there's a naked priest broke into our house. Oh yeah, we just shot the the. The you know, town preacher in the eyeball. He's nude on the floor. There's a hole in the side of the house. I mean, there's there's obvious signs of forced entry. You can exp- you can you know justify a homicide, but how do you explain why you had the silver bullet? They're gonna do the autopsy. They're gonna pull a bullet out of this guy. It's gonna be made out of silver. They're like, what was really going on? And if you say we were hunting a werewolf, that just sounds like, like a cover up to a weird like sex party gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, if you explained someone the plot of this movie, which I think we have, it sounds like a sex party gone wrong. We're going right. The the town preacher has somehow acquired this communicable disease, and now he's got to deal with the ramifications, and um, concerned town folk are, are worried he's going to spread it to someone else, and now they're trying to... Uh, Do you think he... Trying to, quote-unquote, cure the disease... Do you think he became a werewolf through some sort of STD type scenario? I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Like, we never get a chance to explore how um, the town preacher became a werewolf. But, I mean, one night of, you know, indiscretion in the the brothels of Europe, and boom, you're a werewolf. If you have sex with a werewolf, do you become a werewolf? Or can someone carry the werewolf virus? Uh, I think you would uh, give birth to a werewolf from your human you know female womb but uh as a a man uh, so say, say if you ingest the sperm of a werewolf you won't become a werewolf interesting this idea that the it's a curse rather than like a uh but i guess if we're treating it like a disease i mean if you have a what if you have werewolf sex with a werewolf in their wolf form i mean are but you're a human yeah or if you have se- if you get bit by a werewolf, but while they're in their human form, do you still become a werewolf, or do they get only when they're bit when they're a werewolf? Do you know any werewolves? Uh, no. Are you positive? How can you uh, be sure? Yep. Have you ever woken up covered in blood? Why I'm not on trial here. What is this inquisition right now? I'm just curious. Why are you getting so curious about werewolves all of a sudden? Because this shows about werewolves. Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm hungry. <laughs> Never in my life have I been so insulted. You think that I'm a werewolf? You think that I, some of my friends are werewolves? I did not say that. I did not accuse. I just asked. If they are, what business is it of yours? I don't know. They're I mean, just like, minding their own you know, business. I was, like, I was like, hey, are any of your friends Presbyterians? Would you be getting so defensive? I don't even know what the implication of that is. I'm thinking maybe that maybe some of you, your friends or you might have be werewolves or have some werewolf lycanthropic-like tendencies. Well, no one's going to bite you. I don't know that. It, even if we were all werewolves, we wouldn't want you in our group. I didn't say, well, who said I wanted to be in your group? Can I be in your group? Cool. Well, I don't know any werewolves. It's late. It is very late. Um, so let's talk about that then. Let's late. We're staying up all night. When you were a kid, did you have any specific uh, 
midnight movie moments that really stuck out with you? Oh, uh, yeah. The Ghoulies series was probably the most prominent fixture in terms of my midnight viewing, especially Ghoulies 2, which I call Ghoulies the new batch. But uh, in reality, they it's Ghoulies go to the carnival. And there's all kinds of fun yeah. um, uh, setups with the uh, the carnival rides and uh, a huge cast of colorful characters. And spoiler, at the very end, they summon a giant ghoulie from hell to eat the smaller ghoulies. And then they don't know how to get rid of the giant ghoulie. Classic ghoulie it's problems. It's great. Um, you know, I never... Wa- I think. I watched the first Ghoulies, but I didn't see that till I was much older. But was starring a young Mariska Hargitay. Uh, I remember very doom, doom. clearly uh, the the commercial that they would always play for when Ghoulies Two was going to be on TV. Yeah, and it was always this shot of like Ghoulies passing a straight razor to each other while in sewer pipes. Yes, and then just some kids sitting on the toilet screaming. Oh, there it's a grown man. But Whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That and, well, that was the scene that made Ghoulies famous. Was right. the coming out of the toilet and. Doing God knows what to that man's uh, undercarriage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was as a kid. I was just like, nope. Uh, uh-uh. uh. I mean, I it can't. could have been totally harmless. He could have just, you know, tickled his tickled his bum a little bit. Well, no. Because some people don't react well also, to tickling. Some also, people are. are there's sensitive. nothing totally harm- harmless but a toilet monster touching your butt. I mean, it's it's scary and unnerving, but it's not going to kill you. I don't know what anyone in your werewolf cult told you, but that is not okay. Haven't you ever done your business in a porta potty and had something touch you? No. Huh. Mm. I guess I'm the only one. No. What about you? What's uh? What are some of your memories of uh, midnight movies? So there's a lot of movies that I think kind of just because I started pretty young that kind of just kind of molded into possibly several movies that might mold into one me- movie in my memory. There's a lot of movies like Land That Time Forgot and weird prehistoric monster. Movies that have just kind of conglomerated together. What about Carnosaur? I never saw Carnosaur. Oh. But there's one movie that always sticks out in my mind, and it's not really a monster movie. It's more like a uh, like bad guy, just bad general bad guy movie called uh, The River Rat with the young Tommy Lee Jones and Brian Dennehy. Wow. Uh, about these guys when they're kids rob an old lady, and then one of the kids shoots the old lady to death multiple times like shoots her like 40 times in the chest then he catches on fire and burns up and tommy lee jones takes the heat (laughs) uh but he before that he bit somebody had buried the all the gold they stole from her in her grave or something why does she have gold I don't know. She had a bunch of gold in the floor. What year is it? It's the the movie or the when the the, the robbery takes place. Uh, the, when they rob the the old I woman. I think the the movie came out in like the late seventies, early eighties. So I'm and, and I'm assuming it's a flashback to when they were kids. So I'm assuming the uh, the robbery took place in the sixties, early sixties. I feel like women, uh, old ladies were still hoarding gold. That now, when time. Tommy Jones was younger, did he still look like he was in his sixties? Yes. He is permanently... Yes. They, he was born an old man. Everyone else in the flashback is played by different actors, except Tommy Lee Jones just plays himself right. as, you know, as a younger version. I imagine Brian Dennehy's head was the same size. You know, I don't think... If I recall, Brian Dennehy doesn't show up till later. Like He shows wow. up later, and he just wants the gold. He knows about it for some reason. He wants to eat it. Yeah, he's hungry. Delicious gold. And there's a lot of grave robbing, people getting stabbed in, a, so in, a, in graveyards with pu- steel 
pipes. Uh, like I said, pu- bodies burning up, murdering old ladies. Just a general unsavoriness. Is this, this is just a man versus man, like survival of the fittest amongst uh, overwhelming greed, right? Right, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That one really stuck out of my mind for whatever reason. I think it was just... <clears throat> I mean, you'd see a lot of those. Like, I think that was pretty typical. Like, these movies that pit man against man and doing horrible things to each other. Um, and those seemed like very unassuming movies because they didn't have a lot of overt special yeah. effects. Like, you wouldn't see a commercial and and see monsters popping out of people or, you know, ripping things apart. But well, I think it was... They were some of the more unsettling movies. I think it stands out in my mind, too, because... Other than some a few instances of insane violence, the movie is pretty PG. Yeah, um, but it almost that almost makes it worse. Right, it's so the same wa- thing with Deliverance. Yeah, you're watching this movie, and then all of a sudden, uh, they they just shoot an old lady in the face like fifty times. Yeah, and another guy burned. You watch another guy burn into a skeleton, and then Brian Dennehy is just R-rated all the time. You know, he really burns into a skeleton. Yeah, like they look. I mean, once again, this is my memory. I've not seen this movie in a very long time, but. Recall if I recall they they're get, they're getting away. The for some reason Tommy Lee Jones is separated from his partner. His partner I think like crashes a car and it instantly catches on fire and you just see his rotting his burning skeleton. But you still have he still has long hair. Is it's like a it's like a burning skeleton with a blonde wig on, to my recollection. And then he Tommy Lee Jones young Tommy Lee Jones gets arrested, and thrown in jail for like thirty years or something. Thirty years. Probably not that long. Gets out, more violence ensues. That sounds incredible. That one, that's the one that really, really stuck with me. What sticks with you about uh, Silver Bullet? What do you think has been the sort of lasting legacy of this movie, and why is it, why is it shown as a midnight movie? Why has it seen a kind of a resurgence in the last few years? It's one of those movies that just has so many odd elements. Well, it, it follows the general, like, uh, you know, kind of like werewolf or I think there's a monster in my town, like, uh, set up. It just does some very bizarre, weird things in it, like the werewolf using a baseball bat as a weapon. Most yeah. werewolves you don't see using weapons. So that simple thing like that really thinks, stands out to people. The fact that the young protagonist is a paraplegic and particularly a paraplegic in a, like a super motorized wheelchair that can go like 60 miles an hour is just an odd choice uh that sticks out in people's mind gary Busey uh certainly doesn't help or doesn't hurt the memorabilia certainly doesn't hurt the movie being memorable he's pretty uh unhinged in this role he is he's a maniac in fact i feel like they set him up to be the werewolf at some point oh there's definitely there's definitely uh I think there's you're supposed to have like a like a suspicions. However, this movie does a very odd thing early on in the movie where it's you before it spoils the reveal of who the werewolf is early on where the cuz the preacher has this werewolf dream where it's obviously infers that he is the werewolf, but then later on where it's supposed to be the big reveal after they've blown out the werewolf's eye with the firecrackers and the next day the uh, preacher has an eye patch on, and there's like this big, like dramatic music, like it's him. Like, oh yeah, that's actually a great scene. They only show him from the side working in his garden. Yeah, as the the niece attempts to hunt down the person with the missing eye by collecting cans and bottles throughout the town, mm-hmm. and there's all these great, great misfires 
like the man with the covered in the hot towel at the, down at the barber and then uh you finally see the preacher and they only show half of his face and then as the girl moves past him to drop off the cans and bottles in the garage it's this reveal of the the injured eye and this big stinger right but you but it's the, the you know what's coming because of that because earlier on like as soon as you, you just, right the nightmare of werewolves in the church and right the, <laughs> you know you know specifically like as soon as she goes to the church like and now she's gonna see that he only has one eye yeah it's it's so it's an odd choice that they ruin the reveal, but still act like it's a reveal with yeah. like dramatic music and stuff later on. But yeah, there definitely was a probably a, supposed to be a hint that uh, Gary Busey could possibly be. Yeah, his wolf. aggressive behavior, his mm-hmm. kind of absence in and out of town. The fact that he turns into a wolf. Right. Um, He's the, always peeing on the furniture. Mm-hmm. He does talk about pissing on things a lot. He does, yeah. He sings a song about it. For yeah. no apparent reason. Um, so yeah, I think those those little like bizarre little touches. Uh, is what... Speaking of bizarre touches, in that the dream sequence you mentioned, mm-hmm. my favorite part of that is the female werewolf playing the the piano, the, the organ, organ? Yeah. and just pounding into it like a cat who's just discovered a keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think it's those moments that even though it kind of has a pretty traditional setup overall those little weird eccentric qualities to it uh make it kind of that the cult status that it does have yeah when roger ebert reviewed this movie he said that this is either the worst adaptation of a stephen king book or it's the funniest adaptation of a stephen king book and i'm inclined to agree with the second part of that statement oh yeah because at least definitely at that time it is it is like imagine if there was a saturday morning cartoon version of a stephen king story and that's what this is you know here's the thing though so this is one of the this is one of his the adaptations that he did the, he wrote the screenplay for, for it he adapted it himself and all of the movies that i've seen that he's been involved in the adaptation of it the uh the, where he's written the screenplay or the teleplay and terms of tv movies they all have this ridiculous wacky goofy tone and i've never actually read a stephen king i mean i think i've read some short stories but i've never read an entire like stephen king novel and i'm wondering is like are his books goofy and wacky like this too uh the answer to that is 100 no they do have elements of humor but they're not definitely not this kind of over the top but i think that uh, I have this theory that Stephen King goes back and revisits work that he wrote when he was very depressed and in dark places. And if he gets a chance to adapt it into another medium, then he likes to uh, yuck it up. And he plays like like Benny Hill music in the background while he writes. No and, sense. And he just uh, cranks it up a notch because he wants people to have fun. If you watch Maximum Overdrive, it's pretty visible there that he was... Uh, Wasn't he also out of his mind on coke when he? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was drunk and uh, and coked out of his gourd pretty much the entire production. But you can still see the intent there. Sure. To entertain, to um, give people a laugh, hmm. take them for a ride. Interesting. Well, I don't know. That's about all I got to say on the subject of werewolves. <laughs> I don't think we're done talking so about werewolves by a long shot. Hey, how about that? You know what the best part of the movie is? Hmm. 
That second to opening scene. Oh, oh yeah, that second to opening scene. It's the best part of the movie where that kid just runs over the cockroach with his bicycle and looks behind it and gives it a thumbs oh, up. Yeah, he goes, yeah. That's the best awesome. part. Of, that's the best part of the movie, yeah. right there. Also, this movie came out in, what, like, 1985, about? It was 1985. Let's just roll with that. Somewhere around there. But it takes place in 1976. And the the young girl in the movie, she narrates it. Talking about these events that have passed. But she sounds, the woman who's doing the voiceover, sounds like she's well into her 60s or early 70s. Yet the oldest she could be is like 25 based on the timeline of when the movie takes place and when it when it came out what's up with that i mean obviously she's a time traveler oh cool this is some kind of uh movie that exists in the universe of time cop and uh, whether she wants to admit it or not she is uh, using the time stream for her own personal benefit wouldn't it just take place in the same universe as one of Stephen King's time travel novels since all of his books are interconnected and then happen in the same universe. If you've never read a Stephen King book, how would you know that? I mean, I've read about that. Hmm. I know people who have read Stephen King books and told me these things. Which one does he time travel in? Uh, 11, Oh, that's a Stephen King book? Yeah. No kidding. And it takes and all of his books take place in the same universe. So mm. think about it like that. I don't want to. Good. Well, let's talk about the werewolf itself because Ooh. this werewolf looks terrible. It looks bad. I will say, when watching it in the theater this time around, it looked a little bit better than I remembered. Sure. From the last time I saw well, it. Well, the, the werewolf claws look awesome. And the, yeah. the goal was to keep the werewolf hidden and in the darkness, and that's awesome. But then when it's visible, it looks like a teddy bear or a cute doggy. I mean, it doesn't look very... I would say that the actual head of the werewolf isn't bad. It's the it's the uh, the the, bod, the physical body costume. Yeah. It just kind of looks like one of those, like, Halloween costumes where you just like climb into like a, a, a furry suit so it's the anatomy looks a little yeah, it too looks like it looks like pajamas it, like, it looks too human with a crazy werewolf head and yeah. I think that's like if the if the body had been built out a little bit you know bulked up it would look pretty good actually I think overall yeah the design came from Carlo Rambaldi uh, who is uh, obviously a if you know makeup effects he's a he's a talent but uh Something just kind of went awry on this. Um, and I also think, too, uh, one thing I'll say, I'll say to its credit is the transformation scene, which is a very brief transformation scene, is not bad, particularly given like the lower budget of this movie. It's not great. Uh, oh, no, they did fine. But given, like, given how bad the werewolf looks, you would expect the transformation scene to also be a lot worse than it is and it's passable it is extremely passable but in the end i had a lot of sympathy for the werewolf even oh, though I didn't, I didn't. he was he was more of a dick as a man than a werewolf yeah zero sympathy for the werewolf this is possibly one of the least sympathetic screen werewolves i've ever seen 
I mean, but what is your sympathy level for werewolves in general? I mean, it depends. I mean, it depends. It's a case by case kind of basis. Yeah. You establish the the individual character of a werewolf before you start judging. Right. Werewolf in Monster Squad, highly sympathetic. Werewolf, most of the werewolves in The Howling, not sympathetic at all. Werewolf in Silver Bullet, powerfully not sympathetic. So personality goes a long way in terms of werewolves. Well, it has. It has. It depends. Like, are you stoked about being a werewolf? If you're stoked about being a werewolf, then I'll have sympathy for the fact that you are a werewolf. Oh, what if they're doing positive things with their uh, werewolf powers? What if they're helping the community and well, okay, but if they're doing good things, teaching teaching kids in after school programs how to. But also, why would I have sympathy for them in that situation? Because now you're just being a badass werewolf. Lucky you, you got all these werewolf powers. Everyone thinks you're the shit because you're doing all these after-school programs and using your special abilities that I don't have. Do you think werewolves get a bad rap because of the way they dress? I think werewolves get a bad... And by dress, I mean no clothes at all or just torn pants. I think werewolves get a bad rap because they murder people. Maybe if they got a nice nice fitting shirt, maybe a tie, uh, some casual... Casual but slightly dressy shoes uh, and a matching belt, do you think that would help placate some of the negativity that's formed around them ripping people to shreds. No. Oh. I think it would make it worse. Because now people would be like, look at these rich werewolves uh, tearing apart these uh, poor townsfolk. Why Why do you think it, no one is ready to give werewolves a chance? Because of the murders. Right, but understand the, that he, they're, he, they're he, not entirely responsible. Right. It's like when you get into a car accident, um... You're behind the wheel, but you're you can't possibly control everything. Right. But people don't like getting in car accidents either. No, but that's why we have insurance. You're talking about werewolf insurance? Yeah, I think so. That's still, but that still wouldn't make you feel better about the fact that there's a werewolf in your town. Well, maybe they could have um have like a halfway house. Yeah, like Here's this. Here's 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 the common solution. Am, am I am I a monster for trying to help these yes. these poor individuals? And this just also furthers my theory that you might be part of a werewolf cult. Uh, well, well, cult is a strong word. I mean, I, here's the simple solution to everybody who's doesn't that feels bad about being a werewolf, other than killing yourself, is, uh, you chain yourself up at night. It's really simple. Oh, a la Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's incredibly easy not to go on murderous rampages as a werewolf if you take two seconds of responsibility. But all these people are just like, yeah, fuck it. That's why werewolves get a bad rap. It's not like you're talking about people getting in car accidents. Sure. You don't don't hate everyone who got in a car accident uh, or caused a car accident, but the person who gets, gets loaded... Puts on a blindfold and hits the the glass uh, hits the gas. That guy no one likes. What about if people transformed into cars? You mean like in the short-lived '80s TV series Turbo Teen? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, that was great because you had a lot that had a lot of practical applications. Um, you could turn in. Like, there was one episode where that kid got thrown into Mexican prison. And but he, didn't he just transform into a car and drive away? Right, he ate a bur- spicy burrito because for some reason he turned into a car whenever he got hot. So he ate a spicy burrito, turned into a car, and drove through the wall of the prison. 
that's great. That's a, that's a practical application. Uh, one time he was hanging out with hobos and they needed a ride or something. So he just took the beans from their pot and poured it on himself and turned it into a car and gave the hobos a ride. He's like a Samaritan uh, turning into cars and helping uh, the disadvantaged get around. Werewolves are turning into wolves and eating the disadvantaged. I mean, you could call that a public service. I mean, you could call it a public service if, that, you, were, if you were a werewolf. They're that's, mercy killings. That's something that a werewolf would say. Werewolves and their position in our community is one of the densest moral conundrums I have ever encountered in my life. Well, it's really, it doesn't seem very, uh, doesn't really seem like a conundrum at all. It's chain yourself up, don't murder people in wolf form. All I'm saying is give werewolves a chance. Uh, I think as a society we have, and the only thing that's happened is we've been murdered. Can you tell me one time a werewolf has done something positive in your life? Actually, the nice lady that does my taxes is a werewolf, and she has always done right by me financially. In her human form. Right. Well, her does, she, does she do her taxes while she's in wolf form? Her, her werewolf form has never steered me wrong. Have you encountered her werewolf form? Sometimes on the weekends. And what's that like? I'll see her at the park. So, final final opinion on Silver Bullet, would you recommend? Silver Bullet, uh, four bottles of wild turkey out of five. I would 100% recommend uh, Silver Bullet. It's, like I said earlier, it's not a movie that I can necessarily defend, but I love. And I think if you give it a chance, you might love it too. This is a great werewolf movie to watch when you're like, when you're a kid. Horny? Yes. When you're horny. Like in a kid. Yeah. If you're if you're a kid over overcome with hormones and confused and not wanting to leave the house, definitely check out Silver Bullet. Huge thanks, by the way, to uh, Tacoma's Blue Mouse Theater and the crew at Friday Night Frights for hosting this. Uh, Make sure you get out and support your local midnight movies and horror goofball communities because uh if they don't do it who else will and these movies don't watch themselves yeah um so that's it for this episode i think it's really late right now yeah thanks for checking out our first uh experimentation with um the midnight special hopefully we can do one of these again uh if it's not too detrimental to our health until next time thanks for listening And go to sleep now, or don't go to sleep at all. Good night, guys. A werewolf does my taxes, and then just instantly (laughs) just go on to the next... Yeah, there's something special about a midnight movie. I think we should start over. But you better not complain, boy. You get in trouble with the man. Let the midnight special. Shine a light on me Let the midnight special Shine a light on me Let the midnight special Shine a light on me Let the midnight special Shine